0: Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Seavers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we are in Serviceman, which is the third play in this series, and we're in Act Two, City Lights, and this is scene eight entitled Acme Paper Box. And it begins with Michael, the narrator, who is Stanley's son. Stanley has just started a job with Lee Bernstein's company, Acme Paper Box, at 5950 South State Street in Chicago. He's a production engineer. The scene is Stanley alone in his office. A desk, light, his luckies, Ronson lighter. It's January tenth, nineteen 1946 three years to the day when he rode the train from Birmingham to Nashville to begin his war. His job, as described on an Air Force Reserve inventory questionnaire, confirms his critical occupation and shield from flying in the Korean War. Michael reads from federal documents describing why Acme paper box is critical to the nation's efforts, and specifically why our hero is essential as well. Procurement of all raw materials, analyzation of production problems, cost analysis, production planning, estimating and analysis of individual jobs before and after production, as a key technician in the manufacturing of containers, as subcontractors for prime contractors which are in furtherance of the military effort, primarily products pertaining to production of ordnance materials, as, for example, boxes for the line belt 20 millimeter under contract numbers DA-11-022-ORD-123, and DA-11-022-ORD-211 and other contract numbers, MPA-30-287-MD-18413, Navy Stock Number G53-C-1-649-123, 649 123 asmpa Contract OIN 37462. Our hero, as a production engineer and his essential role in the nation's service, has still been thinking more about the conversation he had with the separation officer Paul Cox in October of 1945 at Fort McPherson, Georgia. First Lieutenant Cox had asked the King about his future and was he interested in returning to college on the GI Bill? The answer now is a definite yes. Stanley has started the GI Bill application process. Thousands of returning veterans are enrolling to begin or complete their education, and he's decided to apply to the School of Engineering's aeronautical engineering program at the University of Maryland in College Park. Stanley completed one year at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana before he joined the enlisted Reserve Corps in June of '42. Now his plan is to begin his engineering studies in the winter of 1947. He'll work for ACME until his application is complete and he's been accepted to the program. This morning, the king's got an important telephone call to make, and he's preparing an outline for the conversation. This scene is split with two people on a telephone call at their respective desks. Stanley is in Chicago at Acme Paper Box, and Glen L. Martin is in Middle River, Maryland, at his manufacturing empire. One desk is quite spare in Chicago. Stanley has a phone in his hand. The other desk is filled with awards and model planes in Middle River, Maryland, and Glenn Martin will receive a telephone call. Michael reads from additional paperwork that the federal government had produced really long after the king had moved on from his role at ACME and into the world of engineering design for Martin Manufacturing. This is January of 1952. Secretary of Commerce Charles Sawyer today issued a revised list of essential activities for use in connection with the revised critical occupations released on May 7th of 1951 by the Department of Labor No activities were removed from the commerce list. The principal additions are those activities involving the production of kaolin clay, tetraethylol lead, and adhesives. These lists are prepared for use by the Department of Defense for considering requests for delaying calls to active duty of reservists and the National Guard. They are also made available to local draft boards, of the Selective Service System as information to assist them in making determinations on requests for deferment registrants. These agencies have the responsibility for making determinations on requests for military deferments. In issuing the revised Commerce List of Essential Activities, Secretary Sawyer said... The sole purpose of the list is to serve as a guide in obtaining manpower for the armed services. It is not designed for use in connection with priorities, material allocations, rationing preference, or other similar purposes. The present list, like the list issued on April 8th of 1951, does not follow any established industrial classification system but has grouped essential activities under 25 broad headings. Stating that the list has been drawn in rather strict terms, Secretary Sawyer cited the major considerations involved in determining each activity listed. Under the foreseeable mobilization program, the products or services of the activity must meet all the following criteria. 1 be essential to the defense program or to the minimum civilian health, safety, or interest. Two, be inadequate to meet defense and minimum civilian requirements or for which a seriously short supply is indicated. Three, the current level of employment in the activity must be maintained or increased. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce list of essential activities, Number 19 is Production of Shipping Containers, described as containers for products identified on this list, glass, metal, plastic, wood, paper, and textile, including reconditioning of and caps and closures for such containers, metal, strapping, adhesives. As the lights go up on this scene, Stanley is contemplating a different essential job in the future. He sits in his ACME office, and he is calling Glenn Martin. And he begins, Good morning. I'm Stanley Silverfield, calling from Chicago to speak with Mr. Glenn Martin. And Glenn Martin's private secretary, a woman named Jane McDonald, says, Good morning, Mr. Silverfield. I'm Mr. Martin's personal secretary, Jane MacDonald. May I ask the nature of your call? And our king. Hello, Miss MacDonald. I don't know if you remember me. We met when I worked with Mr. Martin and Mr. Magruder on the B-26 modifications in November of 1944. Jane MacDonald. Why, yes, Stanley, I do remember you. What a pleasant surprise to hear from you. You made quite an impression on everyone here, and Mr. Martin still talks about you. Let me put you through to him right now. Thank you, Miss McDonald. And then the voice of Glenn Martin, the flying dude. Stanley, is that you? How are you, son? Our king. Hello, Mr. Martin. I am fine, and I hope you and Mrs. Martin are doing well. And the dude. I am very well, Stanley, and Mother Minta is fine, too. It's wonderful hearing your voice. Where are you? The King. I'm in Chicago working for my sister Leona's husband, Lee Bernstein. His family owns the Acme Paper Box Company, and I'm a production engineer. And Glenn Martin. That's great news, Stanley. Good for you. You're a marauder man home from the war and making your way in the world. I am, sir, that's true, but I'm also thinking about returning to college on the GI Bill. I've decided that I want to study aeronautical engineering, and I wanted to talk with you about it. And the flying dude, happily surprised. Oh, that is wonderful news, Stanley. How may I help you with this process? And the king. Well, Mr. Martin, I've decided to apply to the University of Maryland engineering program, and I'd like to talk with you about it. And Glenn Martin, of course, Stanley, I want to talk seriously with you about this. This is a wonderful idea, a great decision, a great opportunity. Why don't you spend a weekend with us in Baltimore? Mother would enjoy seeing you again, no doubt. I'll arrange for you to stay at the Belvedere Hotel again and we can discuss the program and my help in the idea of you joining Martin Manufacturing after graduation. I appreciate your offer, Mr. Martin. It sounds wonderful. What weekend would be appropriate to visit? I'll be ready for a break. Len Martin, let's plan the first weekend in February. Will you fly or ride the train? Perhaps the train. I'd like to see a bit of the nation again, and it would be a good chance to watch the world go by. And Glenn Martin. That's excellent, Stanley. Call Miss McDonald with your trip schedule, and she'll arrange a car, driver, and the hotel. Thank you, Mr. Martin. I really appreciate it. I'll make my reservations this week and call Miss McDonald. And Glenn Martin. And Stanley, please call me Glenn. It will be so good to see you again. I can imagine Mother Minta's smile when I share the news about you. She never stopped mentioning you after your November 1944 visit. Glenn, she'd ask, do you know what happened to that nice young Air Corps officer, Stanley Silverfield, your Silver King? As the lights go down on this scene, split between... Chicago, and Middle River, Maryland. Michael reads a description of the Serviceman's Readjustment Act that was signed by FDR on June 22, 1944. While World War II was still being fought, the Department of Labor estimated that after the war, 15 million men and women who had been serving in the armed services would be unemployed. To reduce the possibility of post-war depression brought by widespread unemployment, the National Resources Planning Board, a White House agency, studied post-war manpower needs as early as 1942 and in June 1943 recommended a series of programs for education and training. The American Legion designed the main features of what became the Serviceman's Readjustment Act, and pushed it through Congress. The bill unanimously passed both chambers of Congress in the spring of '44. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed it into law on June 22, 1944, just days after the D-Day invasion of Normandy. The American Legion called it the GI Bill of Rights as it offered federal aid to help veterans adjust to civilian life in the areas of hospitalization, purchase of homes and businesses, and especially education. This act provided tuition, subsistence, books and supplies, equipment, and counseling services for veterans to continue their education in school or college. Within the following seven years, approximately 8 million veterans received educational benefits. Under the act, approximately 2.3 million attended colleges and universities, 3.5 million received school training, and 3.4 million received on-the-job training. The number of degrees awarded by U.S. colleges and universities more than doubled between 1940 and 1950, and the percentage of Americans with bachelor's degrees or advanced degrees rose from 4.6% in 1945 to 25% a half century later. By 1956, when it expired, The education and training portion of the GI Bill had dispersed $14.5 billion to veterans, but the Veterans Administration estimated the increase in federal income taxes alone would pay for the cost of the bill several times over. By 1955, when the King and his family purchased a new home in the Chicago suburb of Northbrook, 4.3 million home loans had been granted with a total face value of $33 billion. This is the end of Scene 8, entitled Acme Paper Box, in the second act, City Lights, in the third play in this series, entitled Serviceman. And you are listening to the Silver King's War.